Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Say, would you stand with me today? And uh, we're working our way through Matthew chapter six. We have been in a series that we're calling Living on a Prayer. And uh, we are looking at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that we often call the Lord's Prayer. And so we've been kind of starting this series of messages by not just saying, but praying this prayer. Our challenge has been that you would pray the Lord's Prayer every day in the month of January. And this is the prayer. Would you read this? Pray this with me. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we broke it down into kind of an easy way to kind of compartmentalize this prayer so we'll remember kind of each part. So if you've been with us and you know it and um, you're not too cool, would you, would you do this with me? When we pray, we look up and we look down and we look in and we look out. And so Father, today, our Father in heaven, who is holy, and is present, and who loves us more than we can imagine. We thank you that you so clearly, Jesus taught us how to communicate in a way that is meaningful and powerful with you. And so today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts. Whether we are under this roof, or technology is bringing this word to us, We know, Holy Spirit, that you are active all the same. And so would you speak to our hearts? God, our spiritual eyes need open to see what you wanna show us. And our spiritual ears need to hear the things that you're speaking to us. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today by your word? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, you can be seated today. As you're seated, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, or Luke, Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six is where we are. I was in Bible college, just minding my own business, senior year, kind of when you start to, have you ever heard of senioritis? Start to check out a little bit. I remember I was sitting in this class, professor was up teaching, I enjoyed the class, professor was up teaching, and all of a sudden somebody came and knocked on the door, kind of walked over to the professor and whispered a little bit, and they were, uh, you, you could tell what they were saying. They were saying, oh, I need, to, I need to pull somebody out of your class, which is pretty unusual. Like they you typically wouldn't interrupt a class to ask somebody, it usually is an emergency or even more, someone's in trouble, right? And so they came over and they said, hey, the, 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 we need to get, you know. And I'm just sitting there and nobody ever comes for me. <laughs> nobody ever calls my name. I just kind of was flying under the radar and, and, and so I just, I just kind of ignored it. And I just thought, whoever this messenger has a message for, I'm sure it's not me, which is when the professor turned and said, Chad, will you go with them? The president wants to see you. The president of the college, which can't be good. And I would love to give you a story with all kinds of juicy details about my secret life. But it was actually for something really good. (laughs) 
it was an opportunity that he invited me to be a part of. It was just kind of a really cool thing without going into a whole lot of details. But what was interesting was I didn't expect that, you know, and I, it, who, who just pulls somebody out of class? The president does, right? And when the president calls for you, I guess you just go whenever he wants. But here was the thing. I sat there in that class, and when that messenger showed up, my initial response was, I know they have an important message, but that message isn't for me. I want to encourage you, and I feel this really strongly today, this messenger has a message. And for some of you, it's, it's really for you. Like something important that could be spiritually transformational in your life, God wants to speak by his word today. So don't make the mistake that I made and say, well, there's a messenger, and I'm sure it's important, but that message isn't for me. No, I think it's got your name on it. And that God wants to speak to you today from just one verse. We're gonna look at, when we talk about looking down into open hands when we pray, we'll look at this this week, we'll look at it again next week. We're gonna kind of jump out of Matthew chapter six, verse 10, where Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't this interesting? He literally says that we are to pray that what God sees in heaven comes to earth. We're to pray for heaven on earth in our lives because God's kingdom is in heaven. God's will is perfectly done in heaven. And if it's perfectly done there, isn't that what you want to be perfectly done in your life? And yet this place isn't perfect. So there's sin and there's disobedience and there's all those things that come into the world around us. So it's important that we pray this prayer. Here's, here's one of the things that I think is really interesting is when he prays it, and we can be so familiar with this prayer that we move right past this, that he says, your kingdom come. He doesn't just say the kingdom come, and he certainly doesn't say my kingdom come. What does he say? When you pray, you say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that is such a significant, it seems small, but it's so significant that when you pray for will and when you pray for kingdom that you acknowledge that it's God's. Like, I don't wanna stress you out or anything, and I don't wanna cause you to be distracted for the next little while as we look at this passage of scripture, but for many of you, the most challenging moment, the, the most intense debate, the, the most difficult decision you'll make all week is gonna hit you shortly when someone turns to you and says, where do you wanna go for lunch? Anybody else? It's, 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 the, it's the most difficult decision I make all week. I don't know, it just kind of stresses me out. And sometimes it's important to just go, your kingdom come, your will be done in my stomach as it is in heaven, right? That's silly. But are you willing to say that to God in the decisions you make, in the things that fuel you, in the important things in your life? Are you willing to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's, that's the prayer we pray when we not only look up to our heavenly father, but when we look down with open hands. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, would you bring heaven to earth? So as we talk about looking down today, I wanna give you what we'll just call two look down takeaways. That when we look down and pray, here's, here's two thoughts to keep in mind. And the first one is this, number one, I want God's kingdom, not mine. I want God's kingdom and not mine. When I pray this, I'm not praying for my own kingdom, I'm praying for God's. Well, what is the kingdom of God? What do we even mean when we say that? We, we see this, that the kingdom of God represents God's rule 
reign, and authority as the king. The kingdom of God represents God's rule, reign, and authority as the king. And this idea of God's kingdom has come to us already multiple times in the Gospel of Matthew. If you remember, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, when John the Baptist goes out and he starts preaching, the message he preaches is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then later when Jesus comes, Jesus' first sermon is super simple. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven, and that idea of kingdom of heaven is synonymous. It's the same as the kingdom of God. Anywhere you see kind of the word kingdom used in scripture in a context like this, it's all speaking the same thing, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says it is here. This is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that now we live differently because God's kingdom is here. So here's my question for you. Who's the real king? Like when you think about it and consider, who's the real king? How timely that as I was you know, preparing this message and getting it ready throughout the week, that just yesterday, almost in concert with, with what we're doing here, I'm sure they seek us for their planning, Buckingham Palace announced the details of King Charles' upcoming coronation in May. How they'll have this very sacred ceremony on uh, the one day, and then the next day, they're gonna have what they're calling, well, this, this is the day of the celebration, the coronation. They're having what they call, quote, the coronation big lunch. Couldn't they come up with a better name? It doesn't sound very royal and regal. Leah, I want an event around here called the Calvary Big Lunch. I just, I like it. Then they're gonna have a concert. Then the next day, they're gonna have people go out into their communities and serve kind of in honor of the king, and it's, it's filled with all kinds of celebration and pageantry and all that. Anybody going? Just, just, any, okay, I didn't think so. And here's the deal, though. Is he the real king? No, he's, he's the king there. But he's not the king there. He's not the real king. And what we have to ask even one more step when we talk about kingdom is ask, is Jesus the king of your life? Like, when you are willing to pray, your kingdom come, you have to ask the question, who, who rules? Who reigns? Who sits on the throne of my life with authority? Who's the real king? Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we look at this from two different perspectives. One is that the kingdom of God is a future kingdom. Sometimes when the, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's speaking about the, the, the time after these times. It's talking about eternity. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about his kingdom. So we believe that in the future, the kingdom of God will come. But we also believe not only is the kingdom of God a future kingdom, but the kingdom of God is a present kingdom. If you remember a while back, we talked about how we already have received the kingdom, but not yet how we already have the kingdom of God here, but it's not yet fully realized. And so sometimes when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about end times. We're talking about last days. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven. We're not gonna talk about that today because part of what we've been doing in our Wednesday night classes for this uh, Made for More series that we're doing that uh, can help people to lead towards membership, part of what we've been doing is talking about what we believe as a church we often refer to those as our 16 fundamental truths. Calvary's a part of a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God, and our, our fellowship has kind of condensed our doctrine into these kind of 16 points that help us to kind of summarize what it is we believe about important theology items. And the last four of those 16 all deal with 
end times. Talks about what's gonna happen in the future. So we're gonna talk about that on Wednesday night. So whether or not you wanna go through the membership process, I'd encourage you, come on out. That'll be this Wednesday night. But today we're gonna talk about the present kingdom because one of the things that Jesus says to pray is that your kingdom come on earth, that, that it come now, that we see him rule and reign in our lives, that we are his subjects, that we live by the rules, by the, the new way of living that his kingdom brings, right? Isn't that the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, and then we, we walked through, if you remember, those kind of six examples where he said, look, you do things different in my kingdom. This is how he flips the script. Anybody remember that? And so we look at how he helps us in that way. Here's the bigger question, though. Not just eternity, and not just today in culture, not just for the church. My bigger question is, who's the king of your life? How you live, the decisions you make, the, the choices that come to you day after day. Who's the king of your life? Because let's be honest, if we really dug down deep, you know who we like to sit on the throne of our lives? <laughs> Us. We, we like to see our name in headlines. Whether we're public or private people, we, we like to be the center of attention. We, we get our name challenged and you'll watch us defend our name. We like to rule and reign, some of us so much that it'll actually lead us where we manipulate those in our relationships to get the things that we want. We will put people down or we'll boss them around or we'll try to find some way to work through people so that somehow they're serving us. And many of us even have a tendency to sometimes sit on the throne of our lives and feel like we've got it all figured out. And we have to ask the question, in reality, who's the king? Is it us or is it God? There's a, a really interesting story in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll get to it later, but it's good for us to kind of highlight real quick here because I think it's got, it's got something really telling for what we're talking about today. There was a time when Jesus was with his disciples and they were in a place called Caesarea Philippi in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus had them and they were kind of huddled up and hanging out and he said to them, fellas, when you're, when you're out and about, when you're talking to other people, when you're kind of getting a vibe from the community, who do people say I am? Like, like who do they think that I really am? And the boys started to chime in and they said, well, Jesus, some people think that you're actually John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist at this point had been beheaded. He's gone, but they're like, some people think you're John the Baptist who's come back. Some people think you're Elijah. Uh, other people say that that must be Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. Like they think that you're a spirit from the Old Testament who's kind of been, been brought back by God to, to speak prophetic truth. And in the midst of all these varied opinions of what other people are saying, Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, now look, you gotta understand, that's huge for him to express that. This is a light bulb moment for Peter. It's a light bulb moment in the gospel. This is one of the first times, and especially from one of Jesus' disciples, that you so clearly hear someone acknowledge that Jesus just isn't some other dude or revolutionary. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter just had a spiritual moment here. Like he just had, like it just, the lights came on and he expressed it. When we get to this passage later in the Gospel of Matthew, we will unpack just how theologically significant all of this is. 
So this is a key moment in, in Peter's life and his development. And watch, Jesus affirms it in, in the next verse. He says this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's, that's another name for Peter. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. <laughs> Peter, this didn't come from your tiny little brain. Peter, you, you didn't think this up on your own. No, it came by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, he says, but on this rock, he goes on to say, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Is this a significant moment? You better believe it. Jesus, based on what Peter just said, has this revelation that he says to Peter. He says it to the disciples. He says it to the church. He says it to you. That on the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, even the gates of hell can't stop it. Anybody would have liked to have been there? What a cool moment. And you can see, like Peter had to be moved. Peter, Peter had to have this spiritual experience. God revealed it, and Jesus affirms it. He has this incredible spiritual experience. And then watch what happens in the next paragraph. Jesus goes on to teach in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Is that the stuff we know happens later in the book? Anybody? Yes, okay, thank you. Help me out here. Like, like if you read it, you know that's exactly what's gonna happen. Jesus is gonna get arrested. He's gonna have a sham of a trial. They're gonna crucify him. Like the whole thing's gonna happen as he spells it out. And he begins to say this to his disciples and Peter took him aside. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus is teaching and Peter goes, uh... Messiah, I, I, I figured out that's who you are. God help me, because I, woo-hoo, right, ding uh, You got a minute? Come on, hey, just, fellas, we'll be, we'll be right. Jesus, come over here with me for just a minute. Could you imagine the nerve of this dude just pulling Jesus aside and uh, saying, hey, I am just, I don't know if you remember, but I'm the one that God helped to say that you're the son of God. That was me, Peter. And um, you know, and it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus, I'm just speaking on behalf of me and the boys. And this whole crucify thing, <laughs> we're not gonna let it happen. That'll never happen to you. And this is a guy who just had this incredible spiritual experience. And watch what Jesus says to him next. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. There's a fine how do you do, isn't it? Anybody ever had anybody say that to you? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. You hear that from your spouse. You, something better change quick. <laughs> you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We'll rewind that a minute. <laughs> you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, there's a, there's a difference here in what you're saying and what God is seeing. Peter, you gotta recognize that you're focusing on merely human concerns. God has greater concerns, and watch what Jesus goes on to say. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And it's so powerful here that Jesus is talking with Peter and Peter has this incredible spiritual experience and one paragraph later, he totally misses the things that God's trying to do. 
And, and let me give you a couple of thoughts about this because the real question is this, whose concerns do you have? Are, are you seeing God's concerns or mere human concerns? Are you focused on the things God's focused on or are you more focused on, honestly, your own kingdom? Here's one thing, our past spiritual experience does not guarantee our present spiritual discernment. Our past spiritual experience does not guarantee our present spiritual discernment. Like Peter had this incredible experience with God where he, he had this revelation from God himself about who Jesus was and you can't get more than a few sentences down the line and he totally misses what God's trying to do but he still has the boldness to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. And sometimes we think that because we had a spiritual experience in the past or because God led us at one point that somehow we've got it all figured out and we can just move through. And there are times when we just need to say, I think on a daily basis, Lord, your kingdom come. I don't wanna assume, God, that I know what you're doing. That's why we keep praying with open hands because our past spiritual experience does not guarantee that we have present spiritual discernment. And another thought is our human concerns are not always God's concerns. So sometimes we have these concerns, what we think makes sense, what we think seems wise, how we protect our own interests. And the reality is our human concerns are not always God's. All right, uh, true confession moment. Do we have any to-do list people in the room that uh, you, you, you make to-do lists? I kind of do it, most mornings I sit down and I kind of think for a minute and I go, these are the things I've got to get done today, and then what I'm really good at is not doing them. Anybody else? Like, I got the list, it's there, but then somewhere along the lines, and then when I, when I go to bed that night or the next morning, I say to myself, here's the same things I need to do again today, right? Why? Well, honestly, a lot of times, it's because you get distracted by things, and things come your way that you didn't expect, or they take longer than, than you ambitiously thought they would, and all these different things that you look at. But here's the danger for us to-do list people, probably for all of us, is I start the day with a list of concerns, and then I go plugging into it, and I'm more concerned about checking things off my list than I am about hearing what God wants to do in his kingdom through me. And so I miss a conversation where I could have spoken life to someone or I miss an interruption that God sent my way. I thought it was just a distraction. God said it was a divine appointment. And I have to be open to saying that my concerns, what I'm doing, are not more important than what God wants to do. So as I go to school and as I go to work and as I interact with my family, I'm looking for those moments. They might not be on the to-do list, but they're on God's life change list. And I'm open to say, God, your kingdom come. You can check things off your list or you can see lives changed. Checklist, change lives. Which one do you want? And I wanna be open every day to saying, God, your kingdom come, your concerns, not just my own. And we must be willing to set aside our own kingdom to see God's kingdom come. We must be willing to set aside our own kingdom to see God's kingdom come. If you find that there's places in your life where you're being overly protective or you're unwilling to change or you're resistant to sacrifice or you're like stubbornly sure that you're right and another person is wrong or if like Peter, there's times when you just go, Jesus, come on over here because I think I'm a little smarter than you are. 
Peter, if you find that coming out in your life, then maybe it's time for you to realize that you have to set aside your own kingdom to see God's kingdom come. And let's be honest, this, I see this over and over again. I see it in people's lives as they come to a realization that they're not where they wanna be. And they say, God, I, I was sitting on the throne in my kingdom instead of turning it over to yours. I see it in relationships. I see it in marriages. I see it in churches where people decide they're gonna build their own little kingdoms instead of being willing to submit their lives to God and saying, you be the king. And when we pray, we pray with open hands where we recognize that if we're building our kingdom, it's just gonna fall apart. And instead, we say, God, I, I want your kingdom, not mine. There's, a, there's an old missionary quote. Many of you probably have already heard it, but I think it's so powerful. I, I wanna share it with those of you who haven't. There's a missionary named Jim Elliott who, it's a, it's a fascinating story from back in 1956 who went to serve a, a group of unreached uh, natives in the country of Peru and actually gave his life, was martyred for his faith. And they found in his journals a line that says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To open up your hands and say, God, your kingdom come, not mine. Which, which once we wrestle with that, that helps us then to go to the second thing that we wanna see. Matthew chapter six, verse 10 again, says your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray with open hands, it's good for us to pray. I want his will, not mine. Not just God, I want your kingdom, not mine, but I want your will and not mine. What, what do we mean when we talk about the will of God? Well, here's kind of a rough definition. The will of God is his perfect plan, God's perfect plan for individuals, for the church and the world. That could not be more simple. Like it's much more complex than that. Because sometimes God's will just happens. He, he makes sure it happens. Sometimes God's will is affected because we live in a fallen world. And sometimes we have to seek to do his will because you and I have choices to be obedient or disobedient. And sometimes I think God actually just gives us choices along the way in life as to how we'll live and follow him. So to find this is different, it's difficult. Scripture speaks about God's will a lot. Maybe one of the best places for us to understand it comes from Romans chapter 12, Verse one, where Paul says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not, he says, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, and does anybody want God's perfect will for your life? <laughs> And here's the deal, like I, I want God's will to be perfectly lived out in my life, and it is in heaven, but do we live in a perfect place, yes or no? <laughs> no. And so sometimes God's perfect will is held up by the fact that we live in an imperfect world, that we are imperfect people, so maybe the question we ask when we pray with open hands is, whose will are you living? Like, who's, is, are you living out your own will? Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll joke and I'll talk about, you know, I don't know the will of God, but I do know the will of Chad. Anybody else? 
Like, and you know what I want? I want the will of Chad so many times. But am I willing to say, God, I'll live out your will. I'll live out your plan. And some of us get frustrated. We get disappointed. And maybe one of the questions that we have to ask is, are we frustrated because we're failing to live out God's will, God's plan, God's kingdom for our lives? So, so here's an age-old question. Maybe some of you have figured this out. It's a, it's a pretty significant one. How do you know what the will of God is for your life? Like, how do you know it for the decisions that you're making, where you're gonna go to school or the, the person you marry? Should you take that job? Should you move? Should you get involved here? Should you do this there? What about this opportunity? Or should I stay away from this thing? Like, we ask those questions. And I don't know that anybody has it totally figured out I'll give you a few things that we see in scripture. One, when you're asking, how do you know what the will of God is? I would say that you, you start with the general. Like start with what scripture would tell us is, uh, we'll call it the general will of God. Like because there are things that are in God's will that we just know are for everybody. Like one of those things is that God says it's his will that everyone be saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, true? <laughs> so if you ask me what, what is God's will for your life, I'm gonna tell you, he wants you to be saved. He wants your sins to be forgiven. He, he wants your life to have purpose because of his resurrection. He, he wants you to know his leading and his joy and his peace and, and to experience life in his kingdom. He, we start with the general. He, he wants you to be obedient. He wants us to love one another. He wants you to share your faith. Like All those things are the general will of God. So if you're not sure what God's will is for your life, start there <laughs> because we know for sure that those are things. And then this is where I think a lot of us get hung up we don't want just the general will of God, we want the specific will of God. So you start with the general, and then you listen for the specific, how God might wanna speak to you. And so many times when I'm praying and saying, God, what's the right decision? Like, what's the thing you have for us? God, what's your will? Anybody else wanna see it written in lightning in the sky, anybody? I would love an email with step-by-step instructions. An angelic visitor would be awesome because that's a cool story at staff meeting, right? Like, I'll, I'll take those. And yet oftentimes, with, with rare exception, that's not how our relationship with God works. That's not how he chooses to do it. It doesn't always happen like this. We have any uh, coffee drinkers in the room? Yeah, I know, because if we ever run out, you're really grumpy on Sundays. And I've found you have different levels of coffee drinkers. I haven't been my whole life. I've only actually been a part of the cult for the last few years. And uh, so I'm, I'm not that, I'm not, I'm not real picky. I just praise God for caffeine. Anyone? So some of you are the, the Keurig people. You're the gas station coffee people. And some of you just said, well, you're not going to heaven then because you're the French press people. Or you're the, do we have any pour over people? Right, you gotta get it in there and then you gotta, you gotta let it bud and then you know, and all that kind of stuff. And some of you are like amateurs and you have a coffee machine in your home that costs more than your home. Because for you, it's an art. And I drink a cup of coffee and I'm like, I'm thankful for sugar. And some of you drink a cup of coffee and you go, hmm. There's hints of oak and cinnamon in there. Oak and cinnamon. I just need to stay awake, right? But what happens is, over time, your palate gets refined. And you, you start to know. 
So you can tell whether it's Colombian or Ugandan or whatever it might, like you know, like you, you know the street address where that coffee came from just because you tasted it. Because you have that sense. You weren't born with it. You developed it. And you paid a lot of money for it. And you're proud of it. And I, on the same level, I think a lot of that is the same as when we learn to hear God's voice. Like the more of his spirit we take in, the more we can pay attention to the refined ways in which he speaks to us. Does that make sense? Like, and so it's not enough for me to just wake up some morning in a panic and go, God, what's your will? Every day I've got to go, your will be done in my life. And then I begin to see those moments when the spirit is speaking to me. I begin to know those times when what I'm doing is not pleasing to him. I begin to sense that this is an opportunity for my glory to come through. Right, right, you, you start to know those things. You start to sense kind of his word. And, and I'll tell you, this, I, we don't have it on the screens because actually this morning I was going through my notes and this just hit me. Like, what's, what's, this, what's a process if you want to know the will of God? And especially for some of you that are in a season of life where you're making life-altering decisions. Can I give you just a, a quick little formula that I think I've seen help other people? It's helped me. Inspiration plus information, plus confirmation can take you to the will of God. Inspiration, information, confirmation. Inspiration is there are these times where you just sense, this is a good idea. I should do this. I like this. Here's an opportunity. Here's this thing. And you have this inspiring moment where you think this might be the will of God. It's also true that that might be the will of Chad. It could be that it's a good idea or it could be that it's a God idea. So I have to say, God, will you, will you work in my life so that I'm obedient to the inspiration that you're giving to me? Are you with me so far? So that's inspiration. Then information is learn everything you can. Find out everything you can about that person. See what you can learn about that school or that job. Like learn what you can about that opportunity. How many times do you feel like, well, maybe God's calling me here. Well, if you'll learn more, then I, information will feed that burden information will help you to know more, to understand. Sometimes we just go, God's calling me to do this, and we go charging through the door, and it's not until we're on the other side of the door that we go, oh, I wish I'd known that. <laughs> like, and there's times when if you have inspiration without information, it, it just leads to bad decisions. So you have inspiration, then you have information, and then I also think there's confirmation. Now look, sometimes when you do God's will, not everybody will agree. Not everybody will like it. Not everybody will understand. But I'm a firm believer that when you take those steps, God will bring you confirmation from wise people, confirmation from godly people, and confirmation from surprising places so that you will know that you are walking in the steps that he's laid out for you. And I think those three things are things, inspiration, information, confirmation, that God will use to help us to kind of get those Hints of oak and cinnamon as he's speaking to us by his spirit, which, which takes us to this next thing. I want you to start with the general, listen for the specific, and then just do the right things, the things that you know that you should do. Just, just do them. Sometimes we have a tendency to go, well, I'm, I'm standing here and I'm just listening for God, and when God speaks, that's when I'll move. And God's sitting there and he's saying, I'd like to speak, so start moving, <laughs> He, he says, I want you to do the things you should be doing. So live with holiness and integrity. Love those around you. 
Serve faithfully. I love the old saying that says you can't steer a parked car. And it's not until something is in motion that you can actually give it some direction. Now, I'll tell you this, every opportunity that God has ever brought my way, I went back and I looked at the big, like, life-changing moments for us, and every opportunity that God brought our way was because we were already doing the right things. The, the ways God led us in college, the way he brought us to Calvary, the way he's opened up new roles and opened doors in our lives have always been because we were already moving in the direction that God wanted us to go, even though we didn't know specifically what that would look like. There's a, there's a business author named Liz Wiseman, and she's written, uh, especially if you're in a leadership setting, a really helpful book called Impact Players. And her point is that there are always people in an organization who are invaluable because they step in and they make it happen. And they don't just say, I did my job. They look to see what else is there that needs to be done? What else is there that's out there? They ask the question, where can they help? And they take steps to meet the challenge. You, you probably have worked with people like that. You probably know people like that. Many of you are people like that. That you look out there and say, I'm gonna make a difference because you're impact players. Wouldn't it be cool if we were impact prayers? And we would say, God, with open hands, your will be done. And Lord, I'm not just gonna sit here and wait for you to just give direction. I'm gonna do the right things, the things I know I should do. I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna love and I'm gonna give because that's what you're calling us to do. Don't wait to do the perfect thing. Start by doing the right things and let God lead you. Can I, can I give you just kind of an example from the life of the church? A lot of you were here, and it was almost three years ago, I think, to the week, that I, I stood here in February of 2020, and we talked about the fact that God was leading us, and so many of you were giving, and we were excited because we were gonna blow some walls out and build an auditorium right back out here. Does anybody remember that? Some of you were here? <laughs> yeah, I remember too. And then the whole world changed. Like in with the pandemic, everything kind of went off the rails. And our leadership has continued to pray and say, now God? Like I still believe personally that this is something that God is leading us to do in the future. But I just had somebody who's in uh, commercial construction say to me just this last week, mm, not now. Things are still a little too, mm, don't do it right now. And even more, when our leadership has prayed about this, we kind of get this sense, not now. You ever had God just say, good idea, time out. Wait just a minute. So you know what we've decided as a church? We've decided to say, all right, God, then we're doing nothing. I'm not doing anything. You're not gonna play our game. We're gonna take our ball and go home. No, we just started to pray and say, God, well, what is it that you want us to do? And several months into the pandemic, I remember we were, we were sitting in one of our, our finance committee, our budget management team meetings, and uh, one of the members of our team leader in the church, said, you know, I'm looking at our financial reports. There's quite a bit of money there from when we stole, sold our former property on Glendale. And I, did, did I say stole? Is that what came out? Oh, wow. There's, there's no confession there. That's just, can I have some caffeine right after service if that's okay? 
So we were sitting in this meeting and one of our leaders said, hey, there's, there's this chunk of cash there from when we sold, S-O-L-D, the property on Glendale. And we were holding on to that money because we were gonna need liquid cash for the immediate things we needed to do in the construction. But if we're not doing the construction, that money's just sitting there. What if we started to apply that towards our mortgage? Because if we, if we pay down the mortgage, then that positions us for the time when God does say, build the building or start this or do that or go there or give this, that we'll be in a better position then if we do that now. So we did. And then we started to strategically save. And then we saw God bring unexpected blessings. And then end of last year, you gave in a sacrificial way. And we are now debt-free as a church. That's awesome, right? And we're not debt-free to just celebrate. We're debt-free to go, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because God, we're not just going to sit around. We're going to position ourselves so that when you say go, we're ready to run. So that when you say this, we'll say, okay, here we go. Now, I can't tell you from a personal or leadership perspective that I 100% know exactly what God says is next, which is kind of fun because he's gonna lead us by his spirit and he leads every single one of us and there's something exciting about looking at God and saying to him, your kingdom come, your will be done and I'm not just gonna sit here and take my ball and go home. I'm gonna do the right things while I wait to hear the specific thing and how you're leading us to follow you. So super, super, super quick. Will you promise to apologize to the kids workers? Please? Okay, I wanna show you one more thing from scripture. Matthew chapter 21. This is one last passage that I want you to see. We'll get there eventually, but watch what Jesus says. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons and he went to the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. What would you do if your kid said that? <laughs> you probably have had to face that. <laughs> will you do this? I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father said to the other son, and he said the same thing, will you go work in the vineyard? And he answered, yes, sir, but he did not go. You ever had that happen at home? Don't worry, mom, I'll do it. <laughs> No, no, mom, I'll get to it. No, 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 I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but he did not go. So the question for you and I is which son are you? Are you the son who says, nope, won't do it? But then you're willing to let God change your heart and you'll be obedient? Are you the one that stands there looking all good and spiritual and smart and pretty and you say, oh God, I'll do it. And then you never even bother to show up. Here's what Jesus says to sum it up, verse 31. He says, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. By the way, these were not the most spiritually popular people in society in the first century. He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because so many times you stand there and you say, God, I'll do it. And then you don't. And they made a bunch of bad decisions and then said, no, God, I will. And so which one are you? Which son are you? Are you fighting for your own kingdom and to stay on your own throne or are you willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know how you were taught. I think most of us were probably instructed when we were little what to do with our hands when we pray. Anybody remember? We were probably taught that when we pray, we would we'd fold our hands. We've even got an emoji for it, don't we? And I tried to research, like, why? Why do we fold our hands? And there's no real clear answer. Some people say that we're supposed to pray with our hands together like this because when we pray like this, then apparently our prayers go like out our arms and through our fingers and they go to heaven, right? So you pray like this, and if you pray like this, you're praying to the bad place, right? But you kind of got this prayer power that comes out your fingers, apparently. So some people say that's why you do it. Other people say that when you put your fingers together like this, that that's like a sign of loyalty when you pray. I don't know, maybe. The, the biggest answer is that they believe that this, if you take it back historically, even to the Jewish history, is that it's a sign of submission, surrender. When you come like this with your hands together. I don't think there's anything wrong. There's nothing biblical about it, but there's nothing wrong with it. However, I'd love it if we challenged ourselves to pray, not like this, but like this. That we'd pray with open hands. And that when we'd look down into them, we would say, God, I want your kingdom, not mine. God, I want your will, not mine. And so, God, I trust your will for my life. And I trust your, this one's even tougher, actually, folks. I trust your will for my kids. And I trust your will for my job. And I'm gonna let you lead me in my school. Some of you actually have in your hands some things that are so big, such incredible opportunities, that as you hold them, you're actually a little fearful because you're afraid you're gonna fail or that you're not gonna be able to do it or that you're gonna let God or other people down. No better time than to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I trust it to you because I know I'm not gonna do this on my own. If we would pray with open hands and watch what he would do. Can I ask you to stand with me today? And the team's gonna come and is gonna lead us in a old song, a very simple song that says, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. That's what this prayer is, is a surrender. And as we sing this, I'm, I'm just gonna ask you to let the, Lord, speak to your heart. Well, I'm gonna come back and pray in just a moment and that you would be willing to say your kingdom, your will, God, I surrender it all to you. Father, as we sing this song, would you put into our minds and into our hearts the things that you're speaking to us about and as we entrust this to you, God, we surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. to thee.
know this might not be for everybody, but I'm sure it's for a lot of us. This room, Auditorium 2, you're watching or listening to this somewhere that you know specifically God's speaking to your heart about something. It, it could be as, as simple as a sin that he's asking you to surrender to him. It could be as kind of big as an opportunity that you're not sure what this is gonna mean. And it could be everything in between. It could be family, it could be a decision, it could be whatever. But you just know that today's the day where you need to say, God, I surrender. Your kingdom, your will, it's all yours. Would you just raise your hand? Whether you're in this room or wherever you are, just between you and God, just right now, God, I surrender. I surrender it to you. And I, I, wanna, I wanna pray with you. And if you raised a hand, would you just put your hands out open in front of you? We're gonna look down as we pray and believe that God is gonna let his kingdom come and his will be done. So Lord, we, we thank you that in the very most basic prayer that you taught us to pray, with open hands, you called us to look to you and say, Lord, would you fill them? Let your kingdom come through these hands. Let your will be done through these hands. Lord, if today we need to get off the throne of our lives, we make you king. Lord, if today we need to stop chasing our own will and follow yours, we do it. It's with open hands that we surrender our lives to you. Can we sing that again? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Father, may the words of that old song be the new prayer in our hearts. God, that we surrender it all to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in our little part of earth, as it is in heaven. Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.